Hi everyone! Before we start with this episode, we have a pretty big announcement to make. We're having our very first live show. Yes! It's going to be our season one recap episode, which we'll record with you on Zoom. We'll entertain you with our usual banter, and of course, we'll open the floor for you if you have any questions. We'll be hosting this on Saturday, April 17th at 3 p.m. Eastern. For all the details, you can head to the link in the episode description or in the bio of any of our social media accounts. You'll be able to register for the show. There's no event fee for this, but we are going to provide a PayPal link for a pay which you can if you're able to. It'll just help us get some more equipment and keep the show running smoothly and sounding better. Spots are limited, so don't wait too long. Head over to the link in our episode description or on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok at Carrying Wayward and register now. We hope to see you there. Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Schulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 1, Episode 17, Hell House. Let's get this show on the road. I will just hit this nail on the head really early and say it was a fun episode. I definitely enjoyed it, but it was very empty. Is that the right word to use? (laughs) Well, now don't give away our punch. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I actually agree. It's, um, there wasn't much meat and potatoes in this episode, but I mean, we'll try to extract as much as we can. And we've had a, few very heavy episodes, especially Shadow last week was particularly tough. So I think it's actually kind of nice to have uh, a little bit of a break, I guess, with this one. Yeah, I've always found with shows, people talk about filler episodes. And I feel like if we were if we are to call this a filler episode, which I think is a pretty fair assessment, Mm -hmm. at least it was fun. At least it offered some level of conversation it's not like i can think of some shows where there's episodes i will just plain skip mm-hmm. i wouldn't skip this one I, I i had fun i enjoyed it i liked the lore i liked i keep saying levity is the word i want to go to with the pranks it just felt fun are you ready to entertain us with a recap i'll do my best count me in all right two minutes on the clock three two one group of kids in the woods go into a spooky house in the basement, they find a girl has hanged herself, and it's a big scare. Ends up on the news. Uh, the boys are looking for something to research while they're out and about in the travels. They hear about the story and think it might be something. They get there. They meet the kids. They kind of realize that this might not be our kind of deal. They are pretty much ready to leave town until someone actually does die in that basement, just like the story said. And they go to explore. They meet the ghost along with some lovely ghost hunters throughout the episode. The story starts to change. What? Quizzical. And they realize it has something to do with the ghost hunter's website and the story that they are sharing. And they eventually try to use this to control the thing, which doesn't really work because it doesn't go as planned. And they end up just burning the house down and getting away with defeating it that way. That's really it. One minute and four seconds left on the timer. So you could have done this in one minute. (laughs) Ah, oh, dang, that would have been good to know. Did I did I miss anything major? I feel like I skimmed over our ghost hunting buddies until, like, a little late. I mean, honestly, like, I don't think you missed anything. The, the plot was pretty straightforward. I guess I didn't reveal that initially it started as a prank with the, the first girl in the basement. Ah, uh, yes, that's correct. 
in the little bit of story time we can get into with this episode, I think is a little important. Agreed. Let's move to the long game. Let's jump on in. So just a little Easter egg there. I don't know if if you noticed, but like when they're at the record store at the very beginning, Dean pulls out a Kansas record. I didn't catch that initially, but I there was a part of me that was like, I should have gone back and looked at what record it was. And I just I guess I didn't. It actually took me a while because I always noticed the record and I'm like, for them to actually show the record that he's pulling out, like we actually, you know, let's look it up. And then it's, it was Kansas. So, which is really funny considering that season one is the only season finale that does not have Carry On Wayward Son on it. Now that you say like blows me away because I remember it so distinctly from the time that I did watch the show that it feels weird that it wasn't there the whole time. It wasn't there in season one. So, I mean, it's just interesting that Kansas was already a part of the show without really being a part of the show. True, because I think as soon as you mentioned it, my first thought was like, oh, it's a cute nod to the song they're about. They're going to use in a few episodes. And then, oh, it isn't. Is this a meta tulpa? They willed it into existence. (laughs) I think they did. Then the other thing that I just want to say is that this is the first time that we're seeing Ed and Harry, who will later be known as the Ghost Facers. I did not know this. This was, uh, I will admit, a little bit of a pre-show amble. We did discuss this because I was very confused. I liked them. I like you said yourself, too. I like these two. For some reason, they're kind of that like they're like a good villain. They're like they're a little silly. They're not really serious. It's kind of like a bit of fun with them. And like you kind of like. You're not rooting for them to fail, but you're kind of like, you can laugh. To pull a weird example, they're kind of the bulk and skull of this series already, I feel like. And just like, they're doofs, and it's funny. Yeah, honestly, I mean, Ed and Harry become much more developed characters later, because right now, like, we only see them as a bit douchey and a bit silly, and it's entertaining and wonderful. I think I want to see, like, you said there's more of them. I hope we get to see them develop. I hope I learn to grow to love them and look past their you know, stoner mom's basement Star Wars fan thing, which I'm not disagreeing with. I'm happily a stoner (laughs) Star Wars fan who's lived in my other's basement for too long. Not anymore, but I did. I can relate to them and I hope to see them grow. Well, on these (laughs) wonderful words, let's move on to story time. So I feel like most of the pranks were very light. Like none of them really felt hurtful. Like I'm, you you know what a good prank is. You know what a bad prank is. Like, you've pranked someone in your life before. I'm sure I know I have. I'm sure our listeners have as well. And you've always heard that story of pulling a prank that just goes a bit too far. Or like, you know, it hurts somebody, whether it be emotionally or physically. This was just cute, fr- fun. Cute, fun, brotherly love. These were not hurtful. These were not permanently damaging Like, I think the worst we get is gluing Dean's hand to a bottle, which really, like, if that's the worst you're going to get out of this prank war, like, I count yourself lucky. They're just kind of fun and silly. There's nothing really hectic about this. And it does give us a nice bit of brotherly bonding. Yeah. Because up until this point, Dean has always been a father figure. He's been, I don't want to say he's been in charge, but he's kind of been in charge. Yeah. So this almost equalizes them. That I guess that's what I was wondering about because the dynamic had been presented like much more as a parent-child dynamic than a brotherly dynamic. I was sort of honestly getting a little bit of whiplash from that change in tone. It, it's, a, it's a pretty heavy shift, especially coming off of the last few episodes. And I mean, we've discussed so much recently. I mean, I say recently, it's been 16 episodes. That's still a very small amount of time in the grand scheme of the series. 
we've done a lot of talk about how Dean is this protectorate, older brother, the parental figure to Sam in a lot of ways, that to suddenly go to this fun brotherly spat is a bit jarring, yeah, but... Yeah, it was a bit jarring for me. I guess, you know, you could always also see it. I think I think you know where my, my personal opinion is on this at this point, but, like, you can also see it as a way to to say that Dean is fulfilling two roles for Sam, right? He's fulfilling the, mm-hmm. the parental role, but also the brotherly role. In some, in clearly from what we've seen in most moments, he's more of a of a parent. But then there are these moments where like the brotherly bond actually comes out and shines. And I think that perhaps that was one of those moments. I think it's a fair, I think it's an apt description. I, I feel like... <laughs> I, we're going to keep doing this. There isn't a lot to scrape at in this episode, so we're really <laughs> like digging deep where we can. And I don't necessarily think this is the like deepest well. No. But I, I think it still does just give us a moment of, hey, remember, these are two fairly young boys yeah. who, though they are in this world of hectic, crazy, messed up stuff, they can still have fun. They can still be brothers. They still love each other. Mm-hmm. And even at the end of it all, when they finally have their their final two pranks that actually are done uh, on um, our our ghost hunter friends, uh, Harry and Ed. Ed, I'm never I'm gonna learn names again. This is the worst. I finally got through <laughs> Sam and Dean. <laughs> but, like they have their final prank on them. They each you know, have a laugh about it, and then they can just go. You know what? Truce. And I think that's also a maturity level thing that they're able to have this prank war and one of them doesn't have to win. One of them doesn't have to take it too far. Like in most shows, they're able to just go, hey, we had our fun. Let's take a break. Continue on our way. And I just think that's a lot. As silly as it sounds, that takes so much strength, especially when you kind of consider the fact that technically Sam had the last laugh with the bottle prank and Dean never really got back to him. In my mind, it always feels like Dean would be the one who would go too far or would not want to stop. And the fact that they're both able to agree to a truce, even though in the in the way Sam kind of won or he's the one who like got the last laugh, it, it just really it speaks volumes to their relationship. I mean, you could also say that because Dean is often the parental figure, he's the one who, who recognizes when it's time to stop. So I have a question for you. Go ahead. I was wondering what you make of the fact that the case of the Tulpa started with a prank of two cousins who pretended to have one of them hanged. I'm torn on it because I feel like that kind of should have been more important given the like if we had to pick like a an overarching, you know, I don't want to say a theme, but like an overarching like, oh, they're playing pranks and this whole thing's based on a prank. And had the pranks played more into the case? Mm-hmm. I think it would have been a cooler connection. Otherwise, it just feels like a weird coincidence. Okay. I mean, it does kind of speak more to the the idea of uh, folklore, which is interesting, in that it's kind of like that story being passed down and a little bit of that, you know, urban legend vibe. But the fact that it's specifically a prank just feels coincidental more than anything else. A nice coincidence, a nice touch, but like... Do you see, do you read more into it? Am I missing something maybe? I don't like pranks. I am one of those people, one of those really boring people who does not like playing pranks or being pranked. So I guess to me, that said, like, 
be careful with pranks <laughs> because they can really go too far. If we were to do a little bit of that story analysis, we kind of see both sides of the like mm-hmm. a prank going too far, exactly. resulting in literal death and danger and mm-hmm. uh, an actual spirit to the other side, which is the brothers being like even the prank they play on Ed and Harry at the end of like pretending to be a Hollywood exec who wants to get them to make a board game and a movie out of their story. Like, I mean, it's sending them to California, but I don't think it's really going to hurt them in the long run. And then the fish in the back seat. I mean, who hasn't put a stinky food in someone else's car as a prank sometime at work a while back? Oh, boy. Um, it, it's all in good fun. It's all in good fun. It's, you know, that isn't going to kill anyone. It's not going to lead to an accident. It's not going to hurt somebody. And I think that's, I think that's, if anything, we see, like, yeah. a moral of the story is, like, keep your pranks in check and know when to stop because you could result in death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little extreme, but... I'll take it. No, the cautionary tale, right? Like that's uh, the moral yeah. at the end of the story. It's be careful with your pranks mm-hmm. because you never know how far how far they can go. So have the maturity mm-hmm. to stop while you still can. <laughs> yeah, good call. Yeah. I, I hope. Is, is that our theme for the episode? <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. I'm having trouble finding a theme for this one because it's just, we're scraping, we're scraping. <laughs> You know what? Let's like, I'm happy we have some moral we can give to our audience in this episode. We've gleaned something <laughs> educational. I'm happy we could have that. Well, I mean, just like, just think of the tulpas themselves, right? Like once tulpas are created, they take on a life of their own. And I feel like that's the same with the pranks in this episode. At one point, like the pranks do take a life of their own, whether it's in the form of the tulpa or in the form of like almost like the arms race that the boys are having with each other. I think it even goes a little along hand in hand with the origin of this tulpa in this case, the idea of the the ever evolving folklore and story. Mm-hmm. You know, how many legends and lore, even the ones we've talked about on this podcast ourselves, of just it starts as one thing and it gets spread through different cultures and groups and people and it evolves and changes and it escalates and what one day might be a cautionary tale of, you know, don't go into the woods at night because there's a wolves mm-hmm. hundreds of years later is you know, the origin of a werewolf myth. I mean, to pull an actual example here. Mm -hmm. So I I think they kind of go hand in hand. The idea of evolving folklore and Tulpa, I think is a really nice combination of um, entities to bring into this episode. Mm -hmm. And it does kind of tie into the prank idea of if it can go too far, so you have to learn when to like stop. Yeah. Ooh, I'm glad we got there. See, there you go. I'm so happy. (laughs) See, oh, this is wonderful. (laughs) Like, I'm legit just kind of excited and pat ourselves on the back. I did not think we'd gleam that much from this episode, and we did. <laughs> there's <laughs> like, always I something. pride ourselves on what we can do. Yeah. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's always something. But there's yeah. always something, and that's also the beauty of what we're doing, which is to discuss something, because we could never... I mean, I know I can't. I, I can't get to the depth of analysis and understanding that we get to by myself, right? Like, if I watch the episode by myself, like, yeah, for sure, I'll find some insights, but... So far, my most interesting insights have been the ones that happen when I'm discussing with you. So first, aw, thank you. And second, I would agree completely. I feel like I, so often, I mean, I think it's become a joke at this point, how often you blow me away with something that some realization you you bring me to. And it's because we're able to converse. It's because we're able to share these points. That's something that is so simple to me might evolve into something for you and vice versa. So it's nice that even in an episode that could seemingly slip under the radar for some viewers, there is more there than meets the eye. Not a lot, 
but there is still something. There's definitely always a little bit. Remember when I told you that every episode has its own raison d'être? That's and I think yeah. and I still think that that's true. Yes, for sure there are some that are more filler than others. I think that we've put our finger on one of them. <laughs> but see, we got to something that was really cool at the end of our discussion. So. And I'm glad we could share that with our listeners. Well, the very first thing that I want to talk about in critical time is that we have met Ed Zedmore and Harry Spangler, which are an homage to the, the Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. May I also just say, like, of the names to use to go with Zedmore, mm-hmm. when you think of the Ghostbusters, you can kind of, like, rank them as the most well-known or the most popular <laughs> ones. I don't think many people put Zedmore in their top four. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I find that Supernatural does that, though, right? They always get, like, the uh, the bit more obscure people or the more obscure aliases we haven't quite gotten there yet but you know it's it's actually really interesting to see true and i'll admit i think even with names like zedmore and spangler like i right away spangler was like okay obviously this is ghostbusters and then i had to think for a second of like and is zedmore is Mm. right also one of the ghostbusters like it's not like venkman which would be like could you be more obvious so it's nice that it's i'm not gonna call it subtle But it's nice that it wasn't the most obvious go-to. They're not hitting us over the head with a two-by-four, as one of our dear friends They're hitting us in the side of the leg with, like, a one-by-four, like... (laughs) It's a smaller smaller piece of wood. Just a little stick. Just a little nudge, (laughs) nudging us. That's very cool. And again, the fact that they are ghost hunters, self-proclaimed, yes. and they have a bit of a small cult following. Yeah. I mean, we say small cult following. It seems like if they're able to affect the Tulpa the way they did, it's probably a big enough following. Right? I I mean, part of me, every time I watch this this episode, I always wonder, I'm like, how do they get so many people to read their blog? <laughs> I mean, I think part of it is the fact that it's, 2005 and a GeoCities website is still pretty, you know, commonplace. Yeah. And if you can make yours even halfway decent, mm. which theirs was half, I'll give them that. <laughs> like it still screams GeoCities Angel yeah. Fire websites for our listeners who are old enough to know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's accurate. Like even I feel like I'm stretching with those. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that was, it feels like a lifetime ago, frankly. <laughs> I know. We're the olds now, Drew. We're the olds. Oh. We're, we're the old folks that TikTok refers exactly. to. Uh. <laughs> we part our hair on the side. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do. <laughs> I have to try a middle part one of these days. I'm like, oh, don't worry. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about tulpas? Yes. So as I've made abundantly clear, I thoroughly adore looking up these monster of the weeks and these creatures and spirits and Weirdly enough, I didn't have to do too much digging on tulpas because I recently listened to an entire interview series about them. Very cool. I will still go and say what the show says is pretty accurate. The idea of um, we see it in a lot of uh, Buddhist tradition. So back in uh, India is a lot of uh, common uh, history of them, of the idea of thought forms or creatures born from the mind using concentration this sometimes uh, also related to astral projection, the idea of projecting your body outside of your, uh, you're projecting your mind outside of your body, mm-hmm. sorry. Uh, and in some cases, even taking a physical form while outside of your own body through meditation. But ultimately, what it really came down to is these were 
beings created using your mind or the combined minds of multiple people. Okay. In more modern times, though, there is a very widespread amount of people who refer to themselves as tulpamancers, which are people who do thoroughly believe in this practice and actually practice it, whether they be on their own or in groups, of bringing forth these tulpas through meditation or through... Uh, repeated uh, conversation with. There's different methods for it. I've actually done a bit of reading just because at the time that I had actually listened to a few interviews with a tulpamancer and by extension some of their tulpas, it really was just this insanely exciting world to learn about. So we have people, and I mean, unfortunately, a lot of these tulpamancers and people who study or are interested in tulpas there tend to be very outspoken people in their communities who often cross over with communities that are often kind of seen as jokes. This is like people from 4chan or uh, the often referred to My Little Pony fans or bronies. Mm -hmm. So there is a level of non-seriousness that gets attached to them. But there are people who legitimately practice this, whether it be as a, uh, a personal reflection and growth, ways of bettering themselves, or just ways of making connections they couldn't otherwise make. I'm sorry, I have a question. Can you explain the Tulpamancer? So Tulpamancer is a more modern term that the people in this community have, have given themselves. And this is someone who goes through the acts of creating Tulpas or a Tulpa. So Tulpa is the, the entity being created and Tulpamancer is the base original human creating them. So this can usually, um, the more, the most, the two common sides of a tulpa are either a separate identity that lives within the person. So some people would consider this like a separate personality that is completely separate from themselves, but inhabit the same body. Or you have tulpas that are actual projections, and these can be anything from animals to spirits to people. Someone who, in this interview uh, project from Reply All that was put together a while back, I think a little over a year ago now, she herself had a tulpa who was uh, male presenting and wanted to have a life separate from the tulpamancer in this case. So she would allow the tulpa to take over her body and go take art classes in the evenings. And when asked about it, she would explain like, yeah, I'm, I'm physically there. Like, I understand that I'm the one holding the brush and doing the work. But my thoughts, my movements, my emotions are all my tulpas. Uh, and I, I keep using, I keep saying my tulpa or their tulpa. They often do have names as well. Almost always have a name. It's rare that they don't name them. Uh, naming your tulpa is actually one of the first things they try to teach you to do when you're trying to learn how to make a tulpa, because you want to make them as real as possible to will them into existence. Some people find it easier to create one and just have one consistent one. Some people uh, find they even just as they've made a few others, kind of just come to them like almost like will themselves into existence through them. I mean, I've, if you go over to, uh, if you look up Tulpas on Reddit, there is the community. They are very open to answering questions. There's tons of great stories to read. If you have any interest in the subject as a listener, because it is a very interesting world. I, I've not dabbled myself, but I have done a lot of reading just cause it attracted me so much. So I'll be very honest when they first describe the entity in this episode as a Tulpa, I like sat up like, oh, hello, what? Like, what a weird, like, I never thought this would be a thing I would bring into a professional setting like this. <laughs> hey, listen, this podcast is going to take us places. That's for sure. <laughs> 
very yeah, interesting I, places. Like, I mean, I know I have a fan. I'm a fan of the occult and the supernatural, so I expect a lot of my interests would come up. But this was not one of them that I expected, at least. But uh, it's, it's so interesting. I never, I frankly never thought that this would be a thing. I'm, I was not educated on this topic, so thank you for bringing that to me. Definitely, if any of our if any of our listeners uh, are tulpa mancers or have their own tulpa, I would just love to hear more about it. I just think it's an interesting subject to just fully get enveloped in and discuss. So, if you have a conversation to start with me, go ahead and tag us on the podcast or at our twitters. But we're, I'm happy to hear more at Carrying Wayward on all of our there social <laughs> platforms. <laughs> uh, I guess I, I also have like some other musings about tulpas. Please. Of a more abstract nature and less concrete. I, I was actually mm-hmm. thinking about it, especially the, the, um, the line that Sam says, you know, once tulpas are created, they take on a life of their own. And that's truly something that resonated with me. And it resonated with me in two ways. So the ways, mm-hmm. um, the first is like the type of tulpas or... And, Again, this, these are figurative talpas that I'm talking about here. Mm-hmm. What we can create in terms of belief in society. And I have an example for you. In 1998, uh, Andrew Wakefield and 12 of his colleagues published a case series in The Lancet, which is a huge, 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 huge scientific journal that is very well respected and I mean, if you publish in The Lancet once in your life as an academic, as a, scienti- as a, sci- as a scientist, you have made it. <laughs> Dang. Okay. <laughs> and that case series suggested that the MMR vaccine could predispose children to autism. Now, that study mm. is infamous because it, the, the sample size was 12. There were 12... Uh, kids that were studied for this. It was a case series. Usually a case series is a small number. The design was uncontrolled. So that means that they didn't have like kids who got the vaccine versus kids who didn't. They just looked at whatever cases they they had. And then they drew some conclusions that were like sweeping generalizations. And the paper was... Um, actually the cause of the MMR vaccination rates starting to drop in the late 90s and 2000s and up until today. So now, as we know, this particular paper was refuted. So it received widespread criticism because of of everything that I mentioned earlier. It was retracted by the authors and no other study was able to replicate these results. And yet, today, we still have a lower rate of MMR vaccination than we used to have in the early 90s. So I guess, you know, the, the, the impact that one person or one small group of, per, of people can have mm-hmm. once the masses actually start believing what's being said is really I mean, it's, it's, I can't say it's immeasurable because it is measurable. We can actually measure how, how the vaccination rates have dropped, but I just find it absolutely flabbergasting that 13 people in 1998 are the cause of what we're seeing today and the epidemics of measles that we saw a few years ago. 
it is just incredible to know how something so small can affect people because it really is to almost go back to what we were talking about before with the idea of pranks getting out of control. Mm -hmm. It's just information escalation. Mm -hmm. You know, one person says it and it's just, they are someone that you decide is a reputable source. Mm -hmm. So you then tell somebody else. And of course those, some people trust you. They're going to repeat it as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially the age we live in now, when we look at the way news spreads on Facebook, I, I don't want to make the comparison directly because some of that stuff is a little more manipulative, especially mm -hmm. in the political side of things. But just we do live in a world where so much news you receive, and I don't just mean news, you know, capital N-E-W-S news. I'm talking just like information you receive mm -hmm. is secondhand. I, the other night, said something to my wife and I literally said to her, I haven't verified this, but this is something I heard. And she went, I heard that too. And yes, I verified it. Like we had to have that moment in our own home over the name of a bloody dog. But that is unfortunately the world we live in when stories like that get published or when we, you know, news articles come out that describe one thing and are just heavily skewed because they want a certain angle. It gets spread, it gets spread, it gets spread. And without having the sources, without having the origin points, it's hard to combated i mean luckily in this case that you brought up we do have the original article and publishing and you know people responsible for it action can be taken but sometimes it's hard to source things but yeah so, so back to my train though uh, it's classic stories and legends that were generally given as like warnings to children because you know back in those days the woods were full of wolves mm -hmm. and things that would you know hurt a child so you told them stories to tell them not to go into the woods those stories got adapted into the Grimm's fairy tales, which were very dark in their own regard. Some of those Grimm fairy tales have then evolved into Disney movies, yeah. which are now commonplace among children. Yeah. And now we're seeing another layer of this as Disney films get remade into live action films and are being given back a little bit of their darkness. Mm -hmm. We're seeing stories evolve. That's true. We're seeing it and in that's, front of our, of our eyes. Yeah. And I mean, this is a positive one. I mean, whether you agree that the new live action Aladdin was better or worse than the animated one. I am not starting any debates here. That is up to you on Twitter. <laughs> Thank you for throwing me to the wolves, man. <laughs> it's so interesting that you say that because another, the other thing that came to my mind when it came, when it comes to tulpas and how, you know, things that take a life of their own, once people mm -hmm. start, you know, once, what what's the line? It's once tulpas are created, they take on a life of their own. And I feel like that's mm -hmm. a perfect metaphor for supernatural. <laughs> because so many of the characters that they created ended up taking a life of their own and ended up in places that the the showrunners or show creators did not intend for them. I find that really interesting. And there's also this other side of it where the fandom of Supernatural ended up influencing the show. Over time, there was this dialogue between the fandom and the show. And then, you know, that that in itself, that relationship took on a life of its own and made the beautiful, interesting, amazing roller coaster high and low type <laughs> of fandom that we are a part of. I think it takes a lot of respect, though, because it is so easy to look at your creation as the team making the show and just go, no, 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 we, we know what we want to do. We are set in our ways, but the ability to look at your fans and I'm not saying just cater every little thing to mm -hmm. them, but to at least 
invite them into the dialogue, look at the way the world sees your creation and adapt based on that, I think is really impressive. And I think they deserve a small amount of credit for that. And I'm thankful for it in a lot of different franchises. I love seeing that level of acknowledgement to your fans in whatever way you can that kind of just helps the world grow a little bit. If I may add a specific of this. Please. If you've noticed in this episode, we see scantily clad Jared Padalecki. Oh, I noticed. (laughs) Hey, I ain't going to say no to a good looking person, okay? (laughs) Listen. I feel you. So yeah, so we see a scantily clad Jared Padalecki, and that's specifically because the fans had requested to see more of the boys in various (laughs) states of undress. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything else that you'd like to discuss in Critical Time? No, I think we've reached the end of Critical Time, but I know we have a lovely uh, message from uh, Twitter to read out. So this week we'll be... uh, Quoting a tweet from Twitter user at Vern's Tavern, she says, I'm curious, though, how hard is it for you to discern what intentions the creators might have had re-character development when they themselves didn't know how long the show would be on for? Well, that's a nice one to throw at us. Thank you so much. (laughs) And weirdly kind of fits into the topic of this episode. Yeah, it actually fits into this episode uh, very nicely. By the way, Vern Stavern, fellow Montrealer, hello. Oh, yeah, let's go for poutine sometime. Once we're allowed back into the streets of Montreal. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, I mean, to answer this question, I would say that it's very hard to discern (laughs) what the intentions were. And it's almost impossible. Like, we can never really know unless the, the writers or the creators actually have verbalized it and we're able to source that information. Because again, we try to make sure that we source information that we have verified, again, fitting with the theme of this of this entire episode. But that's also why we decided to split the show into two main segments, which is story time and critical time, yeah. right? Because it allows us to have this discussion focusing only on the story and to like forget and put our blinders on when it comes to authorial intent and just be like, this Mm -hmm. is where we know that these characters are heading. So knowing that, what does this piece of the puzzle here mean? And that's, that's what I'm, my role on the podcast is sort of that. Drew's role is to, I mean, I'll let you define it. I would say on the story side of things, I am more of the questioning type. I feel like it's, coming to class almost during these episodes, not to say I don't have what to share, but I feel like I'm coming into a class to earn knowledge and, you know, crack into these stories and what we can discern from the littlest detail down to the most obvious of themes and whether we agree, disagree, or where we align on things. And then, as you said, we divide up into critical time, which is when we can take a step back. I mean, There are times we look at something like why a certain character would dress this way. And then you can kind of cut back and go, because they're writers writing for, you know, tweens on the CW. Of course, they're going to put the girl in the skinniest, the tiniest bikini they can. You know, uh, I think a good example is we go back to Dead in the Water. You mentioned how her choice of bathing suit was not appropriate for a professional swimmer. And we did. What does that mean exactly? And then on the critical side, we're able to go like, it means it's not as sexy and the writers want to put a hot girl in a bikini. Basically. 
Like, sometimes it's just that, and it shouldn't be discounted, though. Even if you can clearly on the writing side see why something was done, I don't think that doesn't mean we can't look into it from a story side of things and glean something from mm -hmm. it. And to go back to the, the tweet, uh, very specifically, no, knowing the show only had a limited time span and not realizing it was going to get more and more seasons... I feel like it's a double-edged sword. On one side, you're able to put more into these characters that you don't necessarily have to pay off, but kind of leave as mystery and allure to them. Mm -hmm. And then there is choosing what parts to continue to focus on as you are given more time to grow. It's the spaghetti on the wall. Well, thank you so much, Vern Stavern, for this uh Yes, thank you question. so much. So, Drew, what is your Crossroads deal for this episode? So, again, with... Oof, with not the most to play with, I think I kind of hinted at it earlier. I would have liked to have seen the pranks play more into the episode's narrative a bit. I think had maybe there been a level of like, you know, things happening in the Hell House and always being this doubt of like, did it really happen or was it, you know just another prank, like, had they figured out, okay, it was a prank, so we can kind of disregard it, and then something happens, and they're kind of like, well, on the one hand, it could just be an elaborate prank, but on the other hand, what if there really is something? Like, kind of the rule of threes in a bit, like, have the first one be obviously a prank, the second one be, like, up in the air, maybe even have the brothers disagree and kind of help it play into their prank war a bit, and then the final one really be the, oh no, this is actually a thing, and then solve the case. Mm -hmm. This would have obviously eaten up more screen time. Yeah. And I don't want to do this, but maybe this wasn't the time to give as much screen time to uh, Ed and Harry. Like, I, I really, like, I, I've made it clear in the past how I feel about, like, characters like this on the <gasps> side, and sometimes I love, sometimes I hate. I enjoyed them. Like, when Mary, you revealed to me they come back, I'm excited for yeah. that. But maybe we could have toned them down, had them there this you know use them even in that plot like have them show up the first time to set them up have them be there the second time to help kind of lean the credence to it's probably them doing a fake scare because they want a story and then have them the third time see a ghost for the first time and kind of really spook them out and kind of set them up for a future but i think we could have reduced how critical they were to the story while still giving them the key points of being ghost hunters getting in the way having a website ultimately let us have a little more time with the brothers and this prank war and kind of really drive home that lesson we kind of tried to glean from this which is the careful how far your pranks yeah. go because sometimes they could go too far are you ready to hear the exact opposite of this, <laughs> of this <gross laughs> yes <laughs> oh my favorite <laughs> i'm going north south you're going east yep. west I would actually say that I would have loved to see more of Ed and Harry in this episode. I mean, don't get me wrong. If that is the alternative, we get more Ed and Harry, I would have taken yeah. it. I honestly, I, I, I know we talked about this before we were on the air, but I'm just going to get it out real quick. Listeners might remember how much I disliked a certain side character from a certain episode. Yes. Freaking Gavin. And these guys feel like they should be the same to me. But I love them for some reason. They were endearing and kind of adorable. Yeah. And I want to see more of them and I want to see them grow. <laughs> so I'm not removing them from my deal because I didn't like them. I just think the episode could have been better with more content and less them. But I want to hear your thoughts are for this. 
that's the thing, right? There's two very like important sides to this episode, and it's on the one hand, Ed and Harry, and on the other, the brothers' pranks. Mm-hmm. I think I've made my position pretty clear about the pranks. <laughs> so to me, if I have to choose to to take one away or to reduce one of them, it would definitely be the pranks. And because I like Ed and Harry and they're funny and they bring such mm-hmm. levity, like you said, I mean, we keep coming back to that term in this episode, but like, yes, they bring joy, okay? <laughs> they bring joy in a world <laughs> that is sometimes very, very dark and depressing. The world of supernatural, of course. So there you go. I think it would have been nice to actually have a little bit more of them, to learn a bit more about them, even at the cost of the pranks between the boys. Yeah, and as I do sometimes, putting on that, like, you know, TV writer hat for a moment, I could definitely see the scripting for this episode ditching the pranks literally altogether, including the initial setup one, and have it go much more of the dynamic of, like, having some go- amateur ghost hunters on the scene and dealing with that as more of the episode's, yeah. you know, like, beeline mm-hmm. story. I think so, too. Uh, because, because, yeah, you're right, I really did like them, and I think... Honestly, if I had to go one of the two ways, I think I would prefer yours over mine. <laughs> as silly as it sounds, I don't know why I went the way I did versus the way you did. I'm glad we did. Yeah, there you in go. The end. There was, this was like to our listeners, this was not no, this planned. was not planned. We didn't actually white room this. <laughs> like I'm, I'm shocked we didn't screw this up before we got here. Like I'm a blabbermouth, but genuinely, I love when we have these moments, and I think it's rare that our crossroads deal come out with a winner and i think you win this one <laughs> thank you i guess <laughs> i didn't know that that was something that we were uh you know competing about <laughs> i don't think kind of like the prank war i don't think we ever really had a winner in mind sam and dean style yeah. but i guess that technically one of us did win this one and i'm happy to give it to you <laughs> oh thank you that's kind and i guess that brings us to the end of a very very, a very episode. A very episode. A very supernatural <laughs> episode. How about that? You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Mary Vigoureux, and myself, Drew Shulman. This week, we'd like to thank at Vern's Tavern for her tweet. Help us keep the conversation going. You can send us a voice recording at at carryingwayward at gmail.com. And follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok using at CarryingWayward. Subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts for weekly content, including special episodes. Until next week. Carry on, our wayward friends. <laughs>